0: Turn your Bibles to 2nd Corinthians chapter 1. Can everybody hear me? Okay. Can you hear? Okay. 2nd Corinthians chapter 1. And as we begin to look at this text... I want to kind of just prepare just help you frame your mind by answering a few questions. Ask yourself these questions. Psalm 121 says from where does my help come? What, what's, the, what's your honest answer to that question? From where Does my help come? The psalmist says my help comes from the Lord. My help comes from the one who made heaven and earth. Look at verse 3 in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And I want to ask yourself this. Do you believe that God is the God of all comfort? That's what that verse says. That he is the God of all comfort. Heidelberg Catechism question number one says, What is your only comfort in life and death? Is God through Christ your primary and ultimate source of all comfort? Look at verse nine. Do you believe that God raises the dead? Do you have the faith of Abraham? This is, this is what Paul does in Romans 4 Is he explains that all who have the faith of Abraham are righteous Says Abraham. Abraham believed that God calls things into existence that don't even exist and he gives life to the dead. Do you believe that? Do you really, do you really believe that nothing is impossible with God? And if you say yes to some of those questions, if you point to the Lord as as the answer to those questions, I want you to think about like that faith, what does that faith look like when tough times come? What does that faith look like in the midst of affliction? When you get bad news, what does it look like? When you're uncertain, in times of absolute uncertainty, don't know what I'm going to do, what does that faith look like? In tragedy, in the middle of tragedy, what does faith look like? What does it look like? in dark days, dark days? How we respond to these grievous trials that do come, that will come shows us what we really believe. Your faith in the midst of affliction reveals who God is who the god of your faith is the bible makes this clear first peter promises that the genuineness of your faith will be tested and proven by fiery grievous trials it's a promise the crucible of affliction proves genuine Faith. It also improves genuine faith. And we will either draw near to God and persevere or we will fade away and even be mad at God. So I want you to know, like, this sermon, this text is for you. Like, no matter who you are in this room, this text is for you. If you are in the middle of a grievous trials right now, like I know some of you are, This sermon and this text is for you. If you've already persevered, already by God's grace persevered through seasons of suffering like I know many of you have, this sermon and this text is for you. There's something for you to do here in this text. And if, by God's mercy, you have not, you've been spared of great affliction, know for certain it's coming. And man, this sermon, this text is for you. It's for you. So, in case you hadn't figured it out, the sermon in this text is about affliction. Affliction. Where does affliction come from? Why? 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 Why do Christians suffer affliction? And how should we respond? But... Even though it's about affliction, it really is about God. This text is really about God. It's about the God of affliction. It's about the God of all comfort. It's about God who raises the dead and hears and answers the prayers of his people. This this text is about God. This sermon is about God. God's purposed affliction. That's what we're talking about today. So let's pray. And let's read the text. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you are God above all. There is no other. You are holy, righteous, and sovereign over all things. And at the same time, full of mercy. The Father of mercy. The God of all comfort. Comfort your people, Lord, please. Comfort your people with this truth about who you are. Help me to um, glorify your name. As the God who sees and the God who acts and the God who works on purpose for the good of his people and for the glory of his name. Lord, help me. In Jesus' name, amen. First Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3, verse 3 through 11. Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ." We share abundantly in comfort, too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort. What you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken. For we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. the dead. He delivered us from such deadly peril, and He will deliver us. On Him we have set our hope that He will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Now, the first question that I want to answer here is like, what is What is this all about? Why is Paul even writing this? Why is he writing so much about affliction? I just want you to look or just listen to what you heard in this passage. He uses some form form of the word affliction four times, suffering four times, and comfort ten times in just this little passage. And this is a theme that runs through 2 Corinthians, especially the first seven chapters. So the 2 Corinthians is really emphasizing something. It's emphasizing God's power. His comforting, strengthening power in the midst of affliction. And strangely enough, Paul is actually focusing the attention on himself. The emphasis in this letter is on his affliction. On Paul's own afflictions. And how God has powerfully comforted him and strengthened him and and emboldened him and sustained him, even delivered him as we see throughout the course of his apostolic ministry. And this is not necessarily a normal theme for Paul to write about his own afflictions. And so why is he doing it? He's doing it because he's having to defend himself. He's having to defend his apostolic ministry. Now can you imagine Some of Paul's enemies coming in behind him and saying, man, you think that guy's an apostle? Have you seen his life? You heard about what happened to him? You see what happens to him over and over again? Everywhere he goes, he gets rejected and beaten up. This is a man of God? Where's God's favor on this guy? How is he an appointed servant of the Lord? How? Look at him. His life and his ministry is a train wreck. Everywhere he goes. And so, a lot of what Paul's writing here is sort of a rebuttal for, for some of that talk. He said, no, 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 no. You got it wrong. Like, this, these things that are happening to me, this is, this is actually what it looks like to be a servant of Christ. That's what chapter 11 is about. This is what it looks like. A servant of Christ shares in Christ's Sufferings, he says. And these so-called super apostles, they're fake. These guys that are making these accusations, they're fake. They have no idea what it really means, what it really looks like to serve God. This is what it looks like, he says. He's defending his ministry and he's explaining to them that these afflictions and the subsequent comfort is all from God. It's all from God, and it's coming through Christ. So the emphasis here in in this text is not so much on the affliction itself, but the comfort that actually comes in the midst of suffering. And it says, he says, it comes all through Christ. Look at verse five. It, it comes through Christ. Verse five. He says, "As we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through see that." Through Christ, we share abundantly in comfort too. And so, Paul, as he defends his ministry, he's making clear that this is how God works. This is, this is who God is. God does afflict and he does comfort his people on purpose. Those who are united with Christ will suffer. Those who are united with Christ will also be comforted. Paul's own life demonstrates this, especially for those who are going to be ministers of the gospel. Now, notice how he starts, verse 3, how he starts his letter. After he does his greetings, how does he start? He starts with a blessing. He starts by blessing God. Look at the first word, verse 3 Blessed. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort. Just worship, praise to God. I think it's important that you get why he's starting like this for two reasons. One is, man, every time you see one of the uh, biblical authors start out with blessed be God, they start out with this praise. Man, you need to perk up and pay attention. This is something you need to pay attention to. This is something you need to imitate even. And understand what's going on. And the second thing I think you need to realize that's important about this is this is a little bit of a change from the way Paul normally writes. He's uh, giving personal examples here of his own affliction theology. So normally Paul would start off with giving God thanks for the grace that he sees in their life. And then he would tell them what he's praying for them. Man, here he's giving God thanks for the grace he's had in his own life and asking them to pray for him. And so he's using this uh, personal, firsthand knowledge about what he's teaching here about the God of comfort and affliction. So I got three main headings here, all of them about God, and all of them that applies to every one of us in. One, God is the God of all affliction. God is the God of all comfort. And God is a God of purpose. So, first thing I want us to get is that God is not only, like he says in verse 3, the God of all comfort, but he's also the God of all affliction. So before we even get to the comfort, know this, that God is sovereign. Sovereign. Over not just the comfort, but the affliction too. He's the source of all affliction. And you can see that in this text. You can see God's sovereignty in affliction by this revelation of the reason why he's afflicted. These benevolent, good, and righteous purposes for his people actually sort of betray the fact that he's actually sovereign over the affliction. I want you to see that first in verse 6. You see, the purpose of the affliction shows that he's in control of the affliction. He says, if we are afflicted, there's a reason why. It's for your comfort and salvation. God's doing this on purpose. For a purpose. Paul's saying, yeah, God afflicted us for sure. But look, it's for your benefit. It's ultimately for your benefit. And in verse 9, he shows how it's for his own benefit. He's he's got this death sentence and he says, no, no, God did that. God did that to cause me, to make me rely on him. So Paul is showing the sovereignty of God in affliction. He does this not only here, but uh, in other places in this little letter, chapter 12. He talks about this thorn in the flesh that God has given him on purpose so that he wouldn't be conceited for all the revelation of Jesus he's got. In chapter 11, he, he lays out 20 or more marks of what a servant of Christ looks like. Saying, God did all this. That's what marks me as a servant of Christ. Not those guys. So get this. Get this. God doesn't just manage affliction. He creates it. He creates it. It's important for you to understand that. Especially in the midst Of suffering, it is important for you to get that. He doesn't just manage affliction; he creates it. You got to know that your affliction is from God. Listen to this quote from uh, John Piper. He's got a new book on providence, about that thick. I have not read it, but on page two hundred forty-two, or maybe it's four hundred something. I don't know how many pages it is. He says this: "Therefore." know for a certainty your disaster is from the Lord. One of the places he gets that idea from is in Isaiah when God says that about himself. Listen to what God says about himself. He says, I am the Lord and there is no other. I form light and I create darkness. I make well-being and I create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. Read that again. I'm going to, to sink in. He says, I am Yahweh. I am Yahweh. There is no other. I'm the one who makes light. I'm the one who makes darkness. I'm the one who makes well-being. And I'm the one who creates calamity. Know this. I do all these things. So if you go outside today and you see the sun, know that that's from the Lord. God did that. If you go outside tonight and you see the stars against this backdrop of darkness, know for a certain God did that. If you're here today and you're doing good, Well-being, God did that. And if you're here today in the midst of calamity, know this. God did that. God did that. It's so helpful. It's so helpful to get rid of this notion that God merely allows affliction. Or even worse, that somehow affliction comes from somewhere else other than God. And God's just really good at managing it. He's just really good at, oh man, bad stuff. Let me see if I can figure out a way to turn that into good. That's, that's, there's no comfort in that. There's no comfort in that. God doesn't just come in behind the devil and do damage control. No, no. W- what the devil meant for evil, God meant for good. God doesn't just come in behind bad luck and try to piece together a decent outcome. No, every single roll of the dice is from God. God is the creator of calamity. Now, before we go any further, I want you to realize that what we're talking about here is Christian affliction. The the affliction Paul's pointing to here is distinctly Christian. He's not talking about all the many various afflictions and sufferings and calamities that come upon the world who come upon the wicked and righteous alike because of their sin. He's not talking about suffering because of sin. He's talking about suffering because of Christ. We share abundantly in Christ's sufferings. And what Paul means here is, as a servant of the Lord, as a minister of the gospel... It is ordained that he would continue to live out some of the same sufferings that Christ experienced for the sake of the church, for the sake of the body of Christ. Paul tells that. He says it straight up to Timothy. He goes, I endure everything for the sake of the elect. Now, Paul also says that he's, he's not the only one that shares these sufferings. He's definitely pointing that he's he's sharing in the sufferings of Christ. But he's also saying that every single Christian is going to share in the sufferings of Christ to various degrees. Look at the the thought here in verse 5. Verse 5, he's referring to himself. But what about verse 6 and 7? Verse 5, he says, we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings. But verse 6, he says, you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Verse 7. You share in our sufferings. There's a similarity there. And this agrees with the rest of Scripture. All who desire to live a godly life will be persecuted. Jesus says you will be hated by the world. If anybody's going to come after me, you got to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Like this is... This is the way the Bible speaks. So should I ask another question though. Are we talking about just persecution? And I would say no. I would say primarily yes, but not only persecution. I believe that Paul is applying this uh, much more broadly to all forms of Christian affliction, righteous suffering. So what are, what are some of the things I think Christ, uh, Paul has in mind? Now, I think it's important. I think it's important that you uh, get a sense of some of these categories that Paul reveals about righteous suffering and Christian affliction in the letter of 2 Corinthians so that when we get to the comfort, when we get to the purpose, you'll have a more a better personal connection to this. Because you may find yourself in some of these categories. First, first and foremost, is persecution. Gospel hostility. Just the fact that you bear the name of Christ. This is first and foremost in Paul's mind. In chapter 4, he says it plainly. He says, we are afflicted in every way. We are persecuted, but not forsaken. He lists all kinds of things that are straight up physical, physical, Persecution in chapter 11, imprisonments, countless beatings, lashes, 40 lashes, minus one, at the hands of the Jews, beaten with rods, stoned. Now, it might be real unlikely that anybody in here actually suffers 40 lashes, less one, for the faith. But know this, man, we got a brother and sister in China right now that are facing persecution. Scrutiny. We prayed for them this morning. Keep praying for them. They need encouragement from heaven. They need the God of all comfort to come and strengthen them. But there's some of you right now in here that that are facing rejection and hostility in your own family because of Jesus Christ. Because of righteousness. I know it. And man, don't the holidays magnify that problem? Unfortunately, man, when the family get togethers at the holidays, man, they just remind us sometimes that how much the world hates Christ. And man, you you take a stand for sin in your family. You take a stand against a Sinful, professing believer in your family. See what happens. See how Christmas dinner turns out. Remember, this is from the Lord. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. Second category that I see in in the second Corinthians about Christian affliction is about the, the pains of our Mortality. You know you're mortal, right? You know that your outer self is wasting away day by day. If you don't know that yet, you will. That should have got an amen from somebody in here. You will know that your outer self is wasting away. Paul says this in chapter 4. He talks about this earthly tent's going to soon be destroyed in chapter 5. Many theologians think that what he's talking about in verse 8. This death sentence is actually some grave illness he ran into and almost died. Paul, like Jesus, grieved the loss of loved ones. In Philippians 2, he talks about his buddy, his brother in Christ, Epaphroditus, who almost died. And he said, man, I'm so thankful God didn't take him because that would have given me sorrow upon sorrow. We face the same thing. You face the same thing. None of us are getting younger. None of us are getting stronger. If you don't feel it now, you will. I know some of you have been recently. You've recently confronted your own mortality. You've been afflicted physically. COVID, well, for two years now, has kept some of us thinking about sickness and death. This year, I know some of you lost loved ones. And I know the burden of grief is heaviest in the holidays. Right now. You missed them. We got this bodily affliction, this mortality that we face, heart-wrenching grief. This is from the Lord. Remember, like, God, he knows. He knows our frame. He knows we're dust. He formed all of our parts. He knitted us all together in the womb. He's numbered every hair on our head. He's numbered every single one of our days. God and God alone is the one who kills and gives life. He's the one who wounds and he's the one who heals. Paul celebrates the fact here that he remembered that God raises the dead. And Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn. They will be comforted. The third category here, I think, is the seasons of uncertainty. Not knowing what to do, where to go. Paul ran into this a lot. He had no idea what to do, where to go. But he was always helped. He was always led in triumphal procession. He was always led by the lord he says we're man we're afflicted in every way we're perplexed but we're not driven to despair paul was perplexed many times confused uncertain he was at a loss to what to do or where to go and here in verse eight he he's even at a loss of whether he was going to live or die he didn't know if his life was in the balance the ultimate uncertainty so how many times are we like this? We find ourselves at a crossroad, a providential crossroad where we have no idea whether to turn left or turn right. We're at the end of our rope. All of our puny wisdom has been exhausted. And all of our grandiose plans have been just turned upside down. What do I do? Remember, this is from the Lord. This is from God. The, the heart of man plans his way. But the Lord establishes his steps. This sort of affliction also includes sorrow for sin. Sorrow over sin. In the next chapter, Paul's going to talk about this how much affliction he's had, how much anguish of heart, how many tears he shed because of sin in the church. In Athens, his spirit was provoked at all the idolatry. That happened this Christmas? Jesus wept over Jerusalem. He was rejected by his own family. You ever weep over lost family members? You ever grieve over your own sin? How many times do you end up near despair when you get blindsided by that besetting sin that you thought you killed? Hey. Remember, this too is from the Lord. Man, the sin we used to love, we now hate. And sometimes we just cry out like Paul, oh, wretched man that I am, who will save me from this body of death? But here we are, we're still in the world, we're not of the world, but we're in the world, we're surrounded by it. We're surrounded by idolatry and sin, false professions, failures of our own. We experience affliction, which is discipline from our Heavenly Father, painful sometimes. Sometimes crushing conviction by the Holy Spirit this is his reason for coming It's from the Lord. The last last category is seasons Christian affliction includes these seasons of spiritual discouragement. Paul talks about this in a number of ways chapter four, twice. Opening and closing, chapter 4, he talks about not losing heart because of all the discouragements in ministry. Therefore, we do not lose heart. He's fighting it. He's showing us how he's fighting this discouragement. Chapter 11, he talks about these daily pressures and these anxieties for all the churches. In chapter 7 he talks about having no rest. Being afflicted at every turn. Fighting without and fear within and about being just thrown down spiritually. Downcast spiritually. You ever been there? Man just discouraged. Spiritually downcast. Low. Low in spirit. That season of dryness. Moments of Spiritual darkness. There have been times when you echoed the psalmist when he says, Why, O oh soul, why are you cast down? Why? Why is there turmoil within you? Lord, why have you forsaken me? Why do you hide your face from me? Poor in spirit. Blessed. This is from the Lord. Blessed. Are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of God. No. The question is not. Will these things come? But what are you going to do when they do? What are you going to do? How are you going to respond. When these kind of things come. From where does your help come? What is your only comfort in life and death? And I want you to hear this. Man, your only answer to that question in real time and in real life needs to be the God of all comfort that Paul talks about here in sentence number one. That needs to be your answer. Look at verses three and four, how he starts. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all affliction. In chapter 7, Paul says, In all our affliction, I am overflowing with joy. How can he say that? Here's the answer. The Father of mercies and the God of all comfort comforts us. That's the answer. So look at what he's teaching right here in this sentence. Look at what he's teaching about God. He calls him the father of mercies. The same God who is the source of all affliction is also here the father of mercies. Get this. God is in and of himself a compassionate father. This is who God is. What's a father supposed to be like? A good and loving father does everything he can to promote the growth and well being of his child, even when the child doesn't understand, and even when the child doesn't like what's going on. We don't make our kids eat broccoli because we want to torment them, because we want them to grow. We don't spank our kids because we want to hurt them or we want them to suffer, but because we want them to improve. It's what fathers do. Lamentations 3 illustrates this truth about God very very well. It says the Lord will not cast off forever, but though he caused grief. He will have compassion. According to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he does not afflict from his heart. He does not afflict from his heart. In other words, God's heart is not in the affliction itself. His aim is not suffering, but the good of the child. And to that end, God has compassion. In the midst of affliction. He provides, hear this, he provides Comfort and strength along the way. He is the God of all comfort. This is what he says in verse 3. He is the God of all comfort. This is who God is. The God of mercy. The God of peace. The God of all comfort. Every good and every perfect gift is from where? Above. From the Father of lights. He's the source. If Look, if there's any if there's any real comfort, it came from God. Look at verse 4. God comforts us. You see that? God comforts us in all our affliction. What a great truth. What a great... Promise. If you write in your Bible, you should circle that. God comforts us. The God of heaven, the one who knows all things, who has all power and all wisdom, actually comforts us. I want you to take this reality as written in stone. Take this as a promise that will not and cannot be broken. If you are afflicted, God will comfort you. That's what it says. He is near to the brokenhearted. He does save the crushed in spirit. He is our refuge and our strength. He is a very present help in time of trouble. If you do cast your burdens on the Lord, He will sustain you. That's what He does. It's his nature, like this is wood. This is what God is. This is who he is. Now, that leads to a very, very important question. What sort of comfort are we talking about? Because we got a bad idea what we think that is. Unfortunately, in 21st century America, we hear the word comfort. We think cup of coffee, warm slippers, Cozy Blanket, Sonic Blast. <laughs> Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. You, you know, that's, that's one of Sonic's tagline, comfort food. That ain't what he's talking about here. It's not what he's talking about. This word comfort, like, originally refers to courage, strength, bravery, Think comfort, comfort, as one coming to fortify. He's coming to strengthen. He's coming to encourage. God's comfort is not a pat on the head and a warm glass of chocolate milk. It's not. It's better. It lasts longer, it's more powerful. It's in here. It's in here. Where it needs to be. It's not out here. It means God will fortify us. In the midst of our affliction. He will fortify us. The God of all comfort will turn. Weakness into strength. Burden into perseverance. Perseverance. Fear into courage. Downcast into joy. Uncertainty into wisdom. And I got text for every one of these if you want to talk about them later. Burden into rest. Come to me. Grief. Grief. Into comfort. That's what he does. In the midst. Of affliction. God's comfort meets affliction. Head on. Measured. Proportional and sufficient, Paul says. Measured, proportional and sufficient. Now, when does he do this? When when does God comfort us? What does the text say in verse 4? God comforts us in, you can circle that word too, in our affliction. You see that two-letter word? I am. In our affliction. Man, this is important to understand. goes. God is not promising immediate deliverance. Because He's got a purpose going on here. He's, he's working all these things for our good. So He's not promising someone to help me. Boom. It's all over. Great. That's not the promise here. The trial may be grievous and fiery and long. But God will fortify us to endure and persevere. And sometimes in ways that defy explanation and baffle the unconverted world. Paul talks about this God-given thorn in the flesh in chapter 12. How he was just relentlessly buffeted, relentlessly harassed. And how he pleaded with the Lord. He pleaded with the Lord. He pleaded with the Lord three times. He didn't remove it. What did he do? My grace is sufficient. My power is made perfect in weakness. And Paul isn't boasting about that. I'm most powerful when I'm cast down. When I'm weak. So God comforts us In the midst of our affliction. Which affliction? All of them. See that? Verse 4. God comforts us in all our affliction. Not sometimes. Not a subset. But all affliction. Every affliction. Please know this. Like, please get this. God doesn't just comfort us in the easy trials, but in the impossible ones. And he doesn't just comfort us in the impossible ones, but in the little everyday ordinary structures, struggles of a godly life and a fallen world. Everyone. Now, take note here. This affliction excuse me, this comfort, we're now on comfort, not affliction. This comfort is Christian. Every single human on the planet suffers. Every single human on the planet suffers affliction due due to the consequences of sin, of the fall, of the curse. But get this. The unconverted, unrighteous world may receive affliction, but they cannot count on this sort of comfort from God. This comfort right here is strictly for Christians. How, how do I know that? Look at verse 5 again. Where does the, how does the comfort get to us? Through Christ. See that in verse 5? Which means bad for those outside of Christ, but I'm talking to you, brothers and sisters in Christ. We've got this. We have this comfort. Abundantly available through Christ. This divine comfort from the Father of mercies comes through the Son. Comes through the Son. Our help from heaven in the midst of suffering comes from the one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. From our great high priest. Seated where? On the throne of grace. You realize that's the dispensary. That's where it's coming from. This is where it's getting poured out. Here's the fountain. Here's the fountain right here. Here's the throne of grace. I want you to realize the connection between what we see here in verse verse 5 and that awesome paragraph that I love to talk about in Hebrews chapter 4. The one that says, we don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. therefore, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. And guess what? That we may receive mercy and grace to help in the time of need. Comfort. Look, think about it. We're sharing abundantly in Christ's sufferings. You realize the flip side of what that means is he shared abundantly in what we're suffering right now. He knows. He knows. He absolutely sympathizes with our weakness. He knows our trial. He knows our suffering. He knows our temptations. The one who knows our pain the best is the one who mediates the comfort we need the most. That is so comforting. The one who knows our pain the best, better than you do, is the one who mediates the comfort we need the most. And this is the comfort, this is the strength mercy and grace to help in the time of need. Now, God of affliction, God of comfort. Why? Like this is a big question. Why? This is like the kid who doesn't understand discipline. The kid who doesn't understand broccoli. The kid who doesn't understand the word wait. Why? Why? Why does it have to be this way? What is the purpose of God's affliction and comfort? You know that, right? God is a God of purpose. He does everything on purpose, no accidents in the kingdom of God. Does everything on purpose and for a purpose. Sometimes for a million purposes we don't even know about. He afflicts for a purpose. He comforts for a purpose. And I don't know how many different ways he does these things. I don't know how many different purposes God works. Only he knows. But I think Paul's showing us five right here. Five purposes of your affliction. Five purposes of God's comfort right here in this text. One is that other people would be saved. Wait a minute. That that doesn't sound right. But God afflicts us so that other people would be saved? How can our suffering save anybody? I thought it was the suffering of Christ is all that saves. That's right. But and this is what he says. Look at verse 6. He says, if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. Paul's affliction was for their salvation. How? Think about it. How did Paul even get to Corinth? How did he even get to Corinth? And, and, and then when he got there, why did he even stay? Why did he even stay? I mean, persecution is what got him there. Man, memory. He gets that great vision, that Macedonian call. And he goes over there thinking, man, it's going to be a great revival. And what happens? Bam! Beaten, stripped, thrown in a dungeon in Philippi. Finally, he gets out, runs to the next town in Thessalonica. What happens there? Same sort of thing. He escapes a mob of jealous Jews. He goes to Berea. They end up chasing him there. He ends up going to Athens. He gets mocked out of town. And he ends up in Corinth. And guess what? He was reviled and opposed there too. Why didn't he leave like all, did all the other places? Because Jesus came to him and said, stay. Stay. You're not, nobody's going to hurt you. He said, I got many in this city. And he stayed 18 months. And guess what? Many were saved. Paul understood this about his ministry. In chains, he wrote. I suffer everything for the sake of the elect that they may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. We got missionaries right now suffering hardships, uncertainties, discouragements. Why? For the sake of lost souls. God God may have used some of you even in the midst of affliction to, to lead to a conversation that saves souls. But he also, and I think this is one of the primary things in view here, he also does it so that others would be comforted. See, he does this twice in this paragraph. In verse 6 he says, If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort. And then in verse 4, look what he says. God who comforts us in all our affliction. So that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. With the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. I want you to follow the logic here in verse 4. God afflicts us. In the midst of that affliction, God comforts us. Why does he do that? So that we may be able, you see the enabling there in verse 4? So that we may be able, there's an enabling there, there's an equipping there, so that we may be enabled to comfort those in the midst of their affliction. How, what, with what? Like, How are we supposed to comfort them? What, what in the world? How are we going to comfort the one in the middle of affliction? With the very same comfort God gave to us. Think about this principle. God's affliction produces agents of God's comfort. Hear that. God's affliction. Maybe you're in it right now. Maybe you've had it in the past. God's affliction produces agents of God's comfort. Think about how this works in real life. I want you to know how this should work in real life. We, let's say we go through... Some sort of tragedy. Or maybe it's just a small season of difficulty. And God powerfully and graciously fortifies us in the midst of that affliction. God faithfully sustains us or strengthens us or emboldens us or comforts us. Whatever the the need may be. And we, we make it to the other side. Praise the Lord. One day, we find ourselves sitting across from somebody else who's in the midst of affliction. And what do we do? We comfort them. We we comfort them with the same comfort God gave us. How does that work? What does it look like? We testify. To God's faithfulness in the midst of suffering. We, we tell stories about how God led us. Stories about how he, he provided for us. How he encouraged us. We share scripture verses of how God used these things to strengthen us. And to console us. And to even cheer us in the dark days. This is what we do. We become a means of God's grace. An agent of God's comfort. To others.
1: And that's awesome.
0: That's available for everybody. Just like the affliction is available. For everybody. And then in in verses 8 and 9. We don't have time to look at a whole lot of detail of this. But in verses 8 and 9. God does these things so that. Not only that we would help others. But he's helping us. He's causing us to rely on himself. Paul's given a personal example here. He talks about some incredible affliction in Asia. All right. We we have no idea what it is. A lot of people try to guess, but we don't have any idea what it is. But one thing is for sure. Whatever it was, was perhaps the greatest challenge Paul had ever faced. And you see this because of the language that's here. And we don't have time to dig into much of it. But man, just get this. That This language is extraordinary when he's describing what happened to him. Look at verse 8. He says, we were... Pay attention to these words. We were so... See if you've ever felt this way. So utterly burdened beyond our strength like some donkey or some camel that's used to carrying a heavy load till you drop a car on his back and he just mashes him into the dirt. That's what this means. The burden was too much for him. He couldn't bear it. He couldn't take it. He says, we despaired of life itself. Verse 9, we felt we had received the sentence of death. He knew it was over. I'm a dead man no escape this time. This is what he was feeling. Next stop, standing before the judgment seat of Christ. That's where he was at, which he talks about in chapter 5. That's desperate language, especially coming from the guy who said, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Far better to be with Christ. Look at him now. Here he is in the fire. He's in the crucible of God's affliction, affliction, the despairing of life itself, burdened beyond his own strength. Why? Because he relied on himself. So he said. and God says, "Paul, you can't stay there. Christian, you can't stay there. You got to stop. You got to stop relying on yourself." you got to stop relying on human resources. you got to stop. And and for a moment it seems like Paul forgot this drumbeat of his own preaching about the resurrection. For a moment it it seems like he forgot that all things are possible with the God who raises the dead. So what does God do? As a loving father, what does he do? God, the Father of all mercies, decides he's going to help his child here grow. God decided to help Paul remember. Next time, Paul, when you're facing death, because there's going to be a next time, because I'm about to rescue you this time, don't forget, I raised the dead. You see that in the text? Verse 9 he says, indeed we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Get this, everybody, you can't raise yourself from the dead. You can't heal yourself. You can't make this thing happen. You can't stop this thing from happening. You can't fix it. You can't fix the problem. You can't figure out a solution. You can't strengthen yourself. You can't even make yourself think happy thoughts on a rainy day. Matter of fact, apart from him, fill in the blank, you can do nothing. But with him, all things We don't rely on God enough. And we see that because we don't pray enough. And that's that's the other reason that God's afflicting and comforting us. So that we may pray. Some of you may have heard me make this suggestion to you. In, In the midst of difficult situations, I usually offer three pieces of advice. Here's three things to do. Pray. Number two, pray. Number three, pray. So cliche. But it's true. I don't have much more to tell you. But you need to quit relying on yourself and rely on the God who can raise the dead. You should call out to him. And this is, man, this is what Paul's doing. Like, if you really believe that you can't do anything and God can do everything, and he says, Come to me, what would you do? You think Paul prayed during this death sentence? I do. And guess what? He knew something else was coming. And so he asked them to pray. To pray. So, with even greater faith, he sets his hope on God, sets his hope on the God who raises the dead. And he says, But you, verse 11, you've got to help us by praying. See that? He's got confidence in God's power. That's been elevated, but also his confidence in prayer, God answering those prayers has been elevated. And there is an awesome principle revealed right here in this little sentence in verse 11. Awesome principle is this. The sovereign God of the universe, the one who has no equal, the God of all affliction, the God of all comfort, actually uses prayer as the means of accomplishing his purposes. You see that in verse 11? Through the prayers of many. Well, man, why does God do that? He does that so that he may be glorified. God afflicts us and comforts us and causes us to pray and rely on him so that he would be glorified. All this results in glorifying God. This is how Paul starts this passage. This is how start, he ends this passage. He's Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's praising God as the God of all comfort. He's praising God as the one who delivers. And he's praising God for the one who hears and answers prayer even though he doesn't have to. He does. Now, all that, man, what do we do with all that? What's our application? What do we take away? How do we respond to this? Five things real quick. One, again, it may sound cliche, but don't waste your suffering. Be comforted by the fact that God is sovereign over affliction. This is for your good. All things are working together for your good. Realize that we're just like that kid it doesn't understand broccoli. It's hard. I'm not downplaying how hard it is. But God comforts us. He does that. He comforts us in the midst of it. Let it have its full effect, James says. Count it all joy. Let it have its full effect. Don't waste it. Second, stop relying on man. Stop relying on man. This is probably the biggest problem. Stop relying on yourself. Stop relying on man. Stop relying on human resources. All the different ways that God says this in the Bible. Quit trusting in princes and horses and your own legs. Don't go down to Egypt. Man. Man is just dust. Man is just mere breath. But God calls things to exist that doesn't exist. And he gives life to the dead. Where are you going? And he's the God of all comfort. (laughs) Remember that. Just acknowledge that all all power and sufficiency and strength and wisdom and all that comes from God. Kill this self-reliance. Just blow up this mirage that you have of self-sufficiency. Man, I'm preaching to myself right here. Set your hope on him. What Paul says. Wait. 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 Wait for the Lord. Wait for the Lord. All through Scripture, wait for the Lord. And while you're waiting, seek His comfort. Not cozy slippers, not worldly comfort, but the God of mercy and the God of comfort, the one who strengthens and fortifies. Like pray, pray, call other people to pray, solicit prayers from many, like he says here. Run to the throne of grace. Where do you think Jesus went when he needed comfort? Where did Paul go? Seek this comfort, give him no rest. Trust me, you're not going to wear God out fourth thing is comfort others be an agent of comforting others i want you to go on the offense man i want you if you have suffered affliction and you have experienced god's faithfulness and comfort and strength in the midst of those afflictions in the midst of those trials man you've got something god has done something for you so that you can do something for somebody else go find them go find them Sit across the table from them and say, Brother, I know. I know what you're going through. Let me tell you a story. Let me tell you a story. Let me tell you about a time. Man, God was faithful. God was faithful. I wasn't, but He was faithful. Do that. Last, you got to look ahead. You got to look ahead. You got to quit looking at yourself. You got to quit staring at your belly button. You got to quit moaning about the current situation. You got to quit looking at this momentary light affliction. Look not to the things that are seen, but the things that are coming, the things that are not yet seen. Man, this is the way it's going to be. Don't be surprised, Peter says. When fiery trials come up, this is the way it's going to be. It's not going to be like that soon. It's just not. Soon, that far. Soon and very soon. We are going to see the King. This is momentary. I think Paul sums it up well in Romans 12. He says, Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulations and be constant in prayer. Let's pray. Father, you are faithful even when we are faithless because you could do no other thing. You are faithful and powerful. Lord, you see all. You know all. You know right where we are. You've ordered our steps. Father, I pray that you would look at those right now that are suffering and you would have compassion on them and you would show them just what we looked at you would show them that today and tomorrow and every time they come to you Lord you would strengthen and fortify them through this season prepare us for more to come help us to rely on you and not ourselves magnify yourself as the father of all Mercies and the God of all comfort in Jesus name amen